Thanks for tuning in to the Voyage Church Podcast. Our desire is that today's message will be significant for all of us on the voyage of becoming. What God did if you were in the room. The statement sounds very much, even the song we sang, sounds very much along the lines of, okay, God, you've done it before, so God, won't you do it again? Why not right now? And we believe that, and we're going to unpack that next week. I'm going to talk a little bit more about breakthrough and, and, and God's responsibility when it comes to breakthrough. We have a responsibility when it comes to breakthrough. But then when the breakthrough happens, you can only break through because God breaks through. Amen? And um, we'll talk about that next week. But this week, I want to kick this series off with less of the idea of, okay, God, why not right now do it? And I want to talk about our responsibility of what we need to do, decisions we need to make. Why not right now? The majority of the things of God are not held back from people because God is just some sadistic father in heaven being like, nope, not good enough for me. Nope, needs you to do better. No, he literally gives you the righteousness of Jesus. What holds most people back from experiencing the things that God wants to lavish on us is not God, it's us. It is a lack of obedience and a lack of willingness to surrender and sacrifice to receive that which God has. Because God has it. Jesus paid the price. It's all been done. And so there are things that God has for you. And I have found, and I heard the Lord say this to me several years ago, and it really drew me to a new place of um, discipline and discipleship. The Lord said, John, there are blessings that I have for you that are tied up in disciplines that you're not willing to start. I'll say it one more time for somebody. There are blessings from God that, are, that you want, and God's got it. He's ready to pour it out on you. But they're held back because of your unwillingness to step into disciplines and obedience that he asks. And so it's there. Amen? You guys with me? Look at somebody and say, it's there. It's there. And so why not right now? What do we need to do? I want to show you what Jesus says. Um, if you're in this room and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this message is, is going to pierce right to the heart. If you're in this room and you're like, I'm not sure, I'm trying to navigate this whole thing, totally fine. This message will also be for you. But what it's going to show you is it's going to show you what you were destined for, what you were made for. And there's nothing worse, nothing worse than being made for something but living outside of the design. Have you ever gotten frustrated? Someone in our office the other day needed a hammer. We didn't have a hammer on campus. How? When we're renovating a warehouse? I don't know, okay? There wasn't a hammer. In my mind, I'm like, I don't know, grab a crescent wrench or something. You know, here, take my shoe. And I mean, you can try. You ever tried it? You try it. It's just not the same. It's not what it was designed for. Do you know how many people are frustrated in life? Things are jacked up and not working because they're trying to live opposite of what they were designed for. Colossians 1 says you're made by God and for God. It won't make sense until it's for him. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Look what Jesus says. We're going to look at three. Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, he speaks about salt, speaks about light. And John, he doesn't reference, but we're going to look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke today. And I've got three things about salt I'm going to give you. And I, I pray that this, I pray that this reveals God's divine design for you and I. Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Now, you need to know Jesus is speaking to the disciples here, okay? So if you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's saying this to you. Imagine yourself sitting around a campfire with Jesus, 
and he's saying this to you. He's saying, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become saltless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. Isn't it interesting that he calls you the light of the world when a lot of times we're like, Jesus is the light of the world? But if you have been crucified with Christ, then whatever Jesus is, and Jesus is now no longer in the earth, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but the spirit that was in Jesus, the Holy Spirit he's giving you, so whatever he was in the earth, you are in the earth. He literally says, you are the light. He doesn't say, I'm the light, and then you're like, this little light over here. It ain't no little light. My light in you. Jesus doesn't walk around with a big light and give you a little light. He actually says, you'll do greater things than me. He gives you greater light. This is Bible. I love the Bible. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men and women in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Isn't it awesome that God's desire as us being salt and us being light is that people would see what we do, but then their attention wouldn't be on us, it would be on him. That's when you know someone has caught the gospel, that they're not just a westernized American church person checking off a box, going on a mission trip, posting a few Facebook pictures, being, look how great I am. Everybody liked that I went on a foreign mission trip and I did something so I can feel better. Oh, sorry. It's when people catch the reality of I'm serving King Jesus and if someone looks to me, I'm just showing them how to look to him. Don't look at Voyage. Don't look at a church brand. Don't look at a pretty building. Don't look at, look at Jesus. And that's what he says. They'll glorify your Father in heaven. Now, here's what's interesting about salt and light. We're not going to talk much about light today. The other two passages focus more on salt. But here's what's interesting to set the stage about salt and light for you today. Salt and light, when you think about them and, and, they're just, um, and just what they are, they don't have to do anything to change an atmosphere. They just have to be present. Think about it, right? Just a little bit of salt changes the whole french fry experience or if you're like me a lot of bit of salt i don't know if there's any a lot of bit of people i like like a lot of bit of ranch with my little bit of salad i like a lot of bit of salt with my little bit of french fry like but it changes the experience but what did salt have to do like how hard did it have to just had to be present when the room is dark as long as lights are connected to power and power flows does the light have to work really, really hard? I mean, the computer back there that's running all of these lights, like these are LED lights, they're not even crazy hot, even though Joe the drummer always says, these lights are so hot. I'm like, bro, they're LEDs. I'm putting my hand on them. You just sweat bad. Um, but <laughs> there's no power meter on the computer back there going like, these, these lights are working really hard. Nope. They turn on because there's power, and what does light have to do to, infect, to affect the environment? It just has to be. I want you to know that when Jesus calls us salt and light, he's not asking you to strive, work harder, be a better Christian, be a good Christian. I know we've addressed this here at Void Church, but there are no good Christians. You understand that, right? There's sinner and saved, okay? The problem when we say good Christian is we add something to the gospel, but Jesus plus nothing gives you everything, so you and I can't think, well, I believe in my heart, but I also do X, Y, and Z. That's not gospel. That's religion. 
That's not what Jesus preached. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. If you are mine, all you have to do is show up. Now, does that mean we sit around quiet, we don't serve anyone? No, it means that all of that is just a gracious response to God's gracious gift. I'm not doing it to earn anything. I'm living that way because of what I've already freely received. Is everybody with me on the gospel here today? Okay, 14 people. This is Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Martha's doing a bunch of stuff, cooking a meal for Jesus. It's not bad. If Jesus came to your house, you'd be cooking a meal too. Y'all be pulling out the best dishes, right? I mean, you'd be doing it all. I went to a friend's house the other day. I gave an espresso machine too, and, and, and I've tried to like get better at pulling shots of espresso. Not as good as, as coffee shops. That's why I go to my, my favorite places. Shout out Coffee Break. If you've ever been to Makers downtown, good coffee shop. Like, I just, I like a good espresso shop, but I wanted to learn. I was, I gave them an espresso machine, and then I showed up with my own ground espresso. I was like, let me show you, right? I'm like pulling the, sh- it wasn't really that good. Um, I don't know if it's because I ground the espresso beans like a month before and left them sitting there. Uh, there's, a, there's a coffee shop owner in the room. He just shook his head, yeah. So that's what I did wrong. I'll know for next time. But I, I wanted to show him something, right? If Jesus was in my house, I'm not blaming Martha, But what did Jesus say? He said, Martha, you're concerned about many things, but Mary has found the one thing. What was Mary being? Was she working really hard? Just being at the feet of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. What do I got to do? Be in the earth. You're the light of the world. What do I got to do? Just be in the world. Eyes fixed on Jesus. In, in, In the Western American church, we have focused on getting everybody out of earth. When we all get to heaven, like, I I love the song, I'll fly away. Like, what? Yes, one day, but Jesus said in John 17, Father, don't take them out of the world. Keep them safe from the evil one. If Jesus said, don't take us out of the world, why are we here? Because he said, salt of the earth, light of the world. We're not the salt of heaven and the light of heaven. Some of y'all, it's like starting to sit, and you're like, wait, where's this going? This is going to a place that Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father, and if you follow Jesus, you've got a responsibility to be. Mark chapter 9, 49 and 50. This is what it says in Mark about salt. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will make it salty again? So just notice both passages we've read have talked about salt losing its saltiness. Are you with me, church? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Here's what I love about this with Jesus speaking here is that not only does salt impact the world and those that are lost, but salt also, us being salt. Hey, guess what? If Jesus saved you, be a son. Be a daughter. Just just be his. Wake up in the morning, spend time in his presence. Parents, Pray over your children. Speak the word of God over your children. Honor your spouse. Just be what a saved son or daughter is supposed to be. But isn't it beautiful that it's not just salt for everyone out there. It's also salt because it brings peace and unity here. Because if the world, there's nothing worse than, have you ever invited a friend to church? I, this happened to me all the time. I grew up more traditional background. Invite a friend to church. They're like, bro, why would I go spend an hour and a half on a Wednesday night and an hour and 10 minutes on a Sunday morning when you and all your church people bicker and argue and are divided more than me and my lost friends? 
Sounds like a waste of almost two hours and 45 minutes to me. I'm out. I'm out. But if we're salt here, I would love for an atheist to walk in this room and be like, I don't believe a single thing they say, but I can't deny the love and the unity in that place. The way that they love the community, I don't even believe in a divine thing, but they must believe in it so much because these people are throwing thousands of dollars to people that they don't even know. I got a text message this week from a lady in our church who works at a school. She had a sub with her that day, and she began to tell the sub about, um, about like, hey, do you have a church? And the lady said, no, I don't have a church. And then the lady in our church was like, well, man, we go to Voyage Church, and we love it. And that lady responded and said, you know, that church gave us money when our house burnt down several months ago, and it was just enough money for us to get into a new house, and I've never been there. I, I want you to know that when we're just being the salt and the light, what it does, is when we're unified here and we're loving there, it catches the attention of people. They might not understand it all. I don't understand all the chemical properties of salt to be salt. I mean, this piece right here feels like a little rock. It don't taste like a little rock. I, I don't understand all that. But what I know is it's different. It's different. People might not believe what we believe, but they see something different. And it brings peace. But I want you to notice verse 49 at the beginning of this passage. It says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Here's what I want to let you know before we read our last passage, the one we're going to unpack the most today, is um, this idea of being salted with fire points back to the Levitical law. Now, if you didn't know, um, we are very blessed as New Covenant believers because you showed up to church today in your Toyota Camry, or maybe you got a big jacked up F-150, whatever you got, but none of you had to figure out how to put a goat in the back, okay? Now, I need you to know in the Old Covenant, this is what we would have to do at least once a year is we're showing up to church, and there's just, just going to be a bloodbath behind the curtain because we got to make sacrifices to atone for our sins for the year. Now, when they would make these sacrifices, there would be burnt offerings. And one of the things they would do with these burnt offerings, and it was required in the Levitical law, I believe it's within the first five chapters of Leviticus, it says that they would sprinkle the burnt offering with salt. And it said that that salt would be a pleasing aroma to God. And I love that Jesus references this idea because he's telling you and I that this life to follow him, to be salt, is going to cost you something. It's going to be a sacrifice. But... I would say, this might be morbid. This is a problem when you just say, I will just see what the Lord says in that moment. Um, to just burn an animal might not be the most appealing smell. But, but to do the proper things that need to be removed so that you can roast one and salt it, a whole different experience. When God asks you and I to die to our flesh, he's sprinkling it with salt and your life begins to be, as Romans would tell us in chapter 12, you are a living sacrifice. First Corinthians says your life is a pleasing aroma to God. Listen to me. You're going to have to sacrifice something to follow Jesus. It is going to cost you everything. But it's going to be worth everything. And he'll sprinkle it. with. Everyone will be salted with fire. If you say yes to Jesus, there's no one getting out without a trial. There's no one getting out without tribulation. But guess what? Everyone's getting out if you're sprinkled with salt following Jesus. 
That's better than y'all just responded. Everybody's getting out who says yes to Jesus. The trials and the tribulations of this world. I'm not trying to get out before my time, but I'm going to get out because this isn't my home. That's why when you say yes to Jesus, you can live with such confidence because the Bible calls you and I ambassadors for Christ. What do ambassadors do? Ambassadors live in a place they're not from representing where they're from. What, do you, what is that? Oh, it's called salt. It's salt from heaven, but my responsibility is to salt the earth. I'm an ambassador, not from here. That's when someone looks at you and says, wait, 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 I've gone through that same situation. How did you go through it like that? Added some salt to that. Well, I've gone through that. How did you come out? Just a little bit of light. Because when I'm an ambassador, I'm representing something from where I'm from, but living in a different place. And even though there will be trials by fire, it'll be sprinkled with salt. And God, may every trouble I go through, may it bring you glory. May it honor you. Because the stories I love to read of the Christians before you and I, you know the ones I love to read? is like St. Fatini. You might not know her, but we would, we'll actually commemorate her at the end of this month, and that's the woman at the well. And a lot of people don't know her story, that not only was she the woman at the well who met Jesus, but historical writings would show us that her and her family became major evangelists for the gospel. She even got imprisoned with her eyes poked multiple times and God would heal them when she was in prison and she ended up being martyred which is in Christian history she was martyred for her faith by being thrown in the bottom of a well the woman who met Jesus at the well killed left for dead at the bottom of a well to think that they just thought it was a cruel thing to think that her last thoughts were that's where I met him <laughs> see what I'm trying to show you is that that story, as inspiring as it is, do you want to know why it's inspiring? Because she was sprinkled by salt in the fire. Some of you are trying to get out of the difficulties. God, will you just fix this? God, will you just fix this? Instead of, God, will you just sprinkle this with salt? God, could I honor you somehow with this? Because he's worthy. He's worthy. And then the last scripture we're going to read is in Luke 14. Luke 14, but I do want to read you just this statement. Uh, sorry, I, I went ahead. In Mark 9, I just want to give you a paraphrase that one theologian wrote about the being sprinkled with salt. He said it this way. Every disciple of mine shall have a fiery trial to undergo, and everyone who would be found in an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God, must have such salting, just like the Levitical sacrifices. I want you to know there is no way for you to go through trial in this life without there being salting of God. Otherwise, you'll never find it worth it. I could say it this way. You'll never find the situation worth it unless you find him worthy. You should write that down. Not in my notes. You should write that. I Write that down and give it to me later. Not in my notes. I need that. You will find the situation and difficulty you're going through worth it when you find him worthy. The last scripture we're going to read is Luke 14, starting in verse 34. But before I give you verse 34, I just want to let you know what Jesus, some statements he makes starting up in about verse 25 leading to verse 34. Because he says some things that are honestly quite uncomfortable. I would just love to tell you, like, just give your heart and life to Jesus and, you know, you might only have, like, a couple little issues here and there. But, like, when we all get to heaven, amen? 
But Jesus, these are, here's the statements he, he starts making in Luke 14, starting verse 25. Deny yourself. Carry your cross. If you don't know what carry your cross means, in, in, in that culture, in Rome, they made criminals carry crosses, and they made them walk through the city because what it did is it made them forcibly admit that they were wrong and Rome was right. It made criminals a spectacle, a public spectacle of walking around saying, I'm wrong and Rome is right. Rome won. I was a criminal. I was trying to supersede the law. Rome won. So why does Jesus tell you and I to carry our crosses? Because we have to say we are wrong and he is right. Deny yourself, carry your cross. The next thing he says in Luke 14, count the cost. He says, who goes to build something without first counting the cost? Because he says if they don't count the cost and they begin to build and then they don't have the resources to be able to finish it, they'll be ashamed. Listen to me, to say yes to Jesus and live this life for him is going to cost you something. To show up every Sunday to a church, to not show up to a church because you're like church shopping for the one where the pastor gives you what you want. Like, bro, forget me. This ain't about me. This is about Jesus. This is about Jesus say he's coming back for a spotless bride. Do you know who Jesus is coming back for? A spotless church. That's who he's coming back for. So it's not about me showing up and every song that I like is saying and every Bible study I want offered, offered. No, it's that I gather with the people of God. I'm looking towards God saying, God, will you equip us and will you make us salt here and light here? You know what would be the testament? You know what would be worth talking about? If, if, a, if a book was written about your life, do you know what would make people willing to keep turning the page? That you stayed, that you remained, that you stayed planted in the things of God, that you remained faithful to the things of God. That's the kind of life that is worth reading about. It's also the kind of life worth living. And then the last one he says before we read verse 34 is he says, you can't be my disciple unless you give up all of your possessions. What? Like over here preaching off my iPad, going like, what? My iPad, right? And, and, and what he means here is it's the same thing with um, when we see Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac. Did he take his son ultimately? No. Was God putting Abraham to the test to see if he'd go to the end and willing to do so? Yes. Do you have a possession? Do you have a thing? Your marriage, your kids, do you have anything before him that if it got down to that, you wouldn't be willing to let go of it for his sake? If so, I want you to know, myself included, that's an idol in our lives, and God is asking us to destroy it and make sure that he's first. Him first in all things. So he makes some crazy statements. I, just, I need to set this up for you. Look at somebody say, that was a setup. So Jesus, here he is. He's about to say something about salt, but he says, deny yourself, carry your cross, count the cost, give up your possessions, and then he says, salt is good for seasoning. Somebody say amen in the South. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Jesus is obsessed with this idea of, if you give me some salt, and it don't taste like salt, what the heck are we going to do with that? And he even says, but if it loses flavor. How do we make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither. Now, this is where I'm going to unpack the last few moments for you. Uh, flavorless salt is good for neither the soil. Everyone say soil. Or the manure. Power. Everyone say manure. You ever shouted that in church before? It says it is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Okay, Jesus. I need help understanding. And so that's what we're going to do right here. Now, 
Oftentimes when we talk about salt, and Jesus opens up this passage with what we talk about, seasoned with salt, right? Sprinkling of salt. But I need you to know here in Luke 14, Jesus is not talking about that. And what I want to do for the next few moments is I want to unpack a revelation that I really believe will will be a game changer for your faith as you follow Jesus. And if you're in this room today and you don't follow Jesus, it's gonna be a game changer because it's gonna reveal your destiny and that if you don't figure out that you were made to be the salt of the earth, then there is not any season that will make sense unless you're salt. Sorry for the preacher saying. A lot of puns intended there. There is no season of your life that will make sense if you do not become salt. Some people are just getting up, seeing something, go, oh, got it. Oftentimes when we discuss this idea of being salt, we think about two main ideas. Seasoning food, and then we see in the scriptures preserving something. And salt does those things. We could even talk about how salt heals wounds, right? Anybody had a sore in their mouth and swish salt water in your mouth? Okay, well, Dale's parents were awesome. My mom was always like, here's salt water. Um, we could even talk about how, um, I remember going to preach at a friend's church in Kentucky and driving on the interstate and seeing these like metal buildings with these giant sand piles in them. And I was like, why do you guys just have giant sand piles on the side of the road? He was like, bro, those are salt piles. I was like, oh, for like the roads? He's like, yeah, we need the salt to break down. We could even talk about how salt can break down cold hearts. We, we could talk about those things. But in this passage, it's not what Jesus is saying. And what Jesus is saying has a lot more for you and I. And so, um, I agree, salt's good for seasoning. Um, and it's for flavor. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but salt as flavoring is not meant to be taken as a whole. Like, it would not be a good idea if I had a, a basket of french fries here for me to take a scoop of this fine salt, dump it in my mouth, and then eat a bunch of french fries. I know you've maybe been told before, like, it all goes to the same place. Maybe when you eat food, you, like, mix it all together. That ain't the same with salt. Okay, and, and it, there's got to be a proportioned amount there when you're seasoning something, correct? Would you agree? And, and that's important for you and I to know. If we follow Jesus and we're led by the Spirit, you're going to need to know how to be sensitive to the Spirit to know how much needs to be said in a certain situation as you're pointing people to Jesus. Well, would that be a little too far this time? And the Lord's just asking you, hey, no, I just need you to love right now. I'm going I'm to open up a door of opportunity for you to speak. you got to be sensitive. But that's the seasoning. And what Jesus is talking about is something much different. Jesus is actually talking about handfuls of salt. Now, now here's what's interesting about this passage. Um, as followers of Jesus, we have to understand that there are three things in this passage that salt must be. The first one is this. Write this down. I'm going to close with these three fast, quote, unquote. Salt must be, number one, a certain amount. I know in seasoning it might just be a little bit, but in verse 35, Jesus says, flavorless salt is neither good for the soil or the manure pile. Now, what I have here um, is I have some, like, salt that would look very similar to, like, the salt, like, Dead Sea salt, okay? Um, if you've ever looked at Dead Sea salt, has anybody been to the Dead Sea in here? Anybody? No, okay, we, we need to travel, y'all. Um, I mean, I need to go, too. We were going to try to go to Israel a while ago and, and COVID and just hadn't happened, but we're going one day, amen? But um, this is more of what the salt would look like at the Dead Sea. Now, the salt that Jesus is speaking of, a lot of this salt would have come from there. You would have bought it from salt dealers who had gone to the shores, and they had scraped the, the top few layers from the Dead Sea. They would have scraped this salt that is just much bigger granules, okay? Not the kind of table salt that we see today. Now, this is what's interesting about Jesus saying you're to be the salt 
of the, of the earth and, and of the soil. And he says, if the salt loses its saltiness, he says it's no good for the soil or the manure pile. Now, what's interesting about that is that while, yes, um, they, would, they would have salt and use it for all different kinds of things, two major things they would use it for. One was a fertilizer. And you can actually take, they would take Dead Sea salt, they would have crops growing, and they would put handfuls around the base of the plants, and it would actually give those plants, those vegetables and things, the, the nutrients that they would need to continue to grow. So it's interesting that Jesus tells us to be the salt of the earth or the salt of the soil because he actually, from this, he's speaking to people that know what he's talking about when he says it's not good for the soil or for the manure pile. When they hear soil, they're like, oh, you're right. If the salt didn't have salt, it wouldn't be any good for me to sprinkle it around the plants. In other words, if Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, do you understand that we live in a culture that is so much me, me, me. Like I see it all the time all over Instagram. It's like my growth, whether it's your fitness or your business or your followers or whatever, it's my growth. But I want you to know that in the kingdom, that's not how we operate. In the kingdom, I'm salt and it's not my growth, it's your growth. I'm the salt of the earth, the salt of the soil. My job is that when I walk into places, when I walk in to a place that God has assigned me to work as, a, as an employee, God, would you use my life to bless someone and equip someone, God, that they would grow and get the raise even if I don't? The gospel living flips things upside down. Because you might be in here and be like, wait, pastor, are you saying like I get less money? I'm not saying all the time. I'm just saying, are you willing to be the salt of the soil, not focus on your growth, but his growth? The growth that he wants to bring in other people's lives through you. So the first thing he says is it's no good for the soil. It won't help other things grow. And that is why one of the reasons you and I are on the earth, you're saved, but the reason he snatched you up to heaven is because he's got you here to be the salt of the earth for things to grow. But then the second statement is more interesting. It says, for the manure pile. Now, I'll be honest, and this is true in, in biblical context that they would take salt, they could put it on manure, um, it would help break some things down, and then they could even use that manure for fertilizer. But this word in Greek here in Luke 14 is interesting because it doesn't mean animal feces. I feel like I always talk about poop a lot in church. It literally means human dung. This is what it means. He says, so the salt is neither good for the soil or for your doo-doo. Now that makes no sense. Until you begin to dig and historically, what would happen is, in biblical times, it would be normal for there to be a spot, a place dug where you would go Take the Browns to the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? I know they didn't make it today, but you know what I mean? And what would happen is there would be a bucket of salt, a bucket of bigger granules. And you know what they would do with it? After you're done with your business, you would take a handful and you'd throw it on top. And what it would do is that salt would prohibit any bad bacteria from growing. Some of y'all, there's more spiritual depth than you're ready for. When he says you are the salt of the earth, he's saying get in the soil and make things grow. Get into the darkness and don't let evil grow. Don't let anything that would cause sickness or issue grow in anyone's life. You're the salt of the earth. I've left you here on purpose. This changes the game. This puts you as a first century believer in the room where Jesus is talking. You're like, dang, that's a good sermon analogy. But when you read it at the coffee shop a couple months ago, you were like, I don't understand this. Manure pile? I don't have a cow. And that's the good thing. You don't have to have a cow for this to apply to you. All you got to do is use the bathroom every once in a while. Be regular, right? It literally is you being the salt of the earth. And, and, and look, 
we, we, could, we could take this thing spiritually to some places. When you let rhema word, rhema means it's a fresh revelation. We could take this to some places that that is somebody else's mess, but you're the salt. I don't want to deal with everybody's problems. You're the salt. It's your responsibility to make sure those problems don't grow in their lives. This changes the game. This is why Jesus could not preach this passage and not say, deny yourself. Count the cost. It's not about you. He made it about you. And because he did and he saved you, you and I have the honor and privilege of making it about the earth. That was point one, certain amount. Second point is this. It needs direct contact. It needs direct contact. There's a study that actually says in society and cultures, if there's a 5% group of people of any kind that have a, a common belief system, they can affect the culture not by what they do, but just by being present. I'm gonna say that one more time. There is a study that shows that if there is a 5% group in a culture or a society that has a common belief, they can affect and impact the culture not by the good deeds they do, just by being present. That's, that's, that could be good and bad. Not just 5% good, 5% of anything. Isn't it interesting that in that passage, Luke 14, God's not asking for a sprinkling. He's asking for handfuls. And this is what God's doing with you and I. And so salt has to have direct contact. Look, we can do as many Bible studies as we want to do. We can do as many worship nights as we want to do. We can build a building one day. We could have a Christian school one day. But if the church is not equipping people to go get in contact with the dirt, we're wasting our time. Salt has to be in direct contact to the soil and to the mess. And do you know what happens when your life, the goodness that God has put in your life, when it gets involved in someone else's mess, it does the same thing it did for your life. It turns your mess into a message. And they begin to tell the stories, if he did it for me, he can do it for you. Why not right now? It really puts me in the place when I think about salt that um, our responsibility as Christians is we're not a country club. The church is kind of a twofold thing. It's a hospital and an army. It's a hospital for the broken and, and they're restored, but it's an army because we're equipped and we're to go out and do the work of the king. So there has to be direct contact. Let's just make sure that we're not a church and we're not followers of Jesus who just gather around with a bunch of Christians all the time and we never go get involved with those that are in need. We're the salt. They need it. And the third and final thing is this. It must be salty. It has to be salty. Verse 34, this is the interesting part. Verse 34 of Luke 14, he says, salt is good for seasoning. He says this in all three passages, by the way. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Here's the interesting part about that. I was doing some research about the salt that they would gather from the Dead Sea, and it's actually scientifically impossible for salt to lose its saltiness. The sodium chloride, it can't be lost. It can sit for hundreds, thousands of years, and it can't lose its saltiness. So why in the world would Jesus three different times say, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it become salty again? Either it proves, you know, any of the nerds in the house like, see, science trumps God. Or Jesus actually knows his science and he's again speaking about something that we're looking surface level. 
Because salt can't lose its saltiness. So what does he mean? Well, if you notice in the other two passages, in both of those, he says, if it loses its saltiness, it has no use, it's no good, it might as well just be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And here's why. Those that were salt dealers would go out and they would scrape the salt and they would get what they were gonna you know, go sell. But if they were intentional, they were only scraping those top few layers to make sure that it was dead sea salt. But for those that you know, weren't intentional and were trying to just make a quick buck, they would just literally drag maybe uh, a bucket or a pot or something and it, they weren't really thinking about how deep that bucket was dragging. And so what would happen is it would get sand. Now what's interesting about sand, especially ground salt, yeah, that would be really hard to separate. So Jesus didn't say it could lose its saltiness because he doesn't agree with science. He said it can lose its saltiness because it can be mixed with the things of this world. Hey, you're salt, but don't mix. We're called to be different. We're called to be different. Jesus said in it, but not of it. So salt, yes. Sand, no. And this is why Will you guys put that video up there for me? If you look at the way they used to grind salt, there was a salt grinder. Um, what they would do is it was the bigger granules that they're actually pulling here, which is, is what I have, and then they would drop it, and then they would rotate this big kind of flat round stone, and it would end up turning it into what we see here, which is like this really fine table salt that we have, right? And if there was a mixture, if the person who had pulled the, the Dead Sea salt, had sand in it, and they began to grind the bigger granules and the sand. If they weren't paying attention, if they were just dumping it, they would end up grinding that sand and salt all together, and it would lose its impact. It would lose its effectiveness. You could throw it on the manure pile, and stuff would still grow. You'd put it around the plants, and they wouldn't be fertilized. Maybe you've said yes to Jesus. Maybe you show up to church, but you feel like, why doesn't my life seem... There might be some things that are mixed. It's time to let God sift the sand. It's time to let God sift the sand. And this is what the Lord gave me in Matthew 7. He reminded me, but anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And then Matthew 5. Matthew 5 says this, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. It's one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Do you know what's interesting about blessed are the pure in heart? The word pure here in Matthew 5 actually means unmixed in motive. See, you've maybe thought to be pure. Young people, this is what happened to me when, when I was in high school and I was living for the Lord and I wanted to walk in purity, right? If I was in a dating relationship, I was gonna walk in purity and, and people would be like, man, that's, that's dumb, it doesn't make sense. Here's what they thought I was doing. They thought I was trying to tout perfection. I can't be perfect. I've just found the perfect one. His name's Jesus. The perfect one makes me pure, which allows me to pursue, pu pursue purity. So I want you to notice that he says, blessed are the pure in heart, not blessed are the perfect. 
And when he says, blessed are the unmixed in motive, it doesn't mean that you don't struggle. It means that in the midst of my struggles, I want Jesus. In the midst of my struggles, I want other people to see Jesus. In my family, I want people to see Jesus. Am I a perfect father? I'm not, but I'm a pure father. Am I a perfect husband? I'm not, but am I a pure husband? Yes, why? Because I have been made pure by the perfect one, and so I'm unmixed in motive. I wanna be the salt, and so, I have to be willing, I took a little bit of the sand with the bigger salt, before the salt has gone through the grinder. As Jesus would say at the end of his life, he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, which is called the olive press. It means the crushing. Jesus goes into the presence of God and he's crushed. Can I tell you that the reason Jesus went in there to be crushed is because while he was in, the, in his humanity, you remember what he said, Father, if there's any other way, but your will, not my will. What was Jesus doing? He went in there with an unmixed motive of God, I only want what you want. And so before he went through the crushing, Jesus lived a life going through the sifting. Because see, I can sift the sand. Oh, come on somebody, this is better than, I can sift the sand, but all that's left is salt. There are some of us, you love God, but you get mixed. You get mixed with, well, a little bit of this isn't so bad. But when a little bit becomes a lot of it over time, the salt loses its saltiness. And you are such a gift to the earth because of Jesus that there are people in your life that need you to be unmixed in motive. They need you to be present because you being present is gonna allow them to grow. You being present in the midst of their mess when they're walking through their addiction. You're, you're a follower of Jesus. You don't throw people out. You stay close to the brokenhearted, just like God stays close to the brokenhearted. And when you stay close to them and that stuff tries to grow, the darkness and the depression, you're the salt. And God begins to put that right in the middle of that mess. And the things that the enemy wants to grow can't grow because you're being salt. But when we're called to deny ourselves, to carry our cross, what he's asking us is will you be sifted? Because here's the, here's the danger, church. Jesus told Peter, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. In other words, you and I better be willing to be sifted like salt because if not, you're getting sifted either way. Either getting sifted like wheat by the enemy or sifted like salt from the one who made you the salt of the earth. I'm telling you, you're the salt. It's you. Yes, Christ in you, but Jesus isn't just doing the job apart from you. He's doing the job through you. So person in the room today, you're here because mom and dad keep dragging you to church. I know that you might be resentful, but you better be very grateful for salt that's close. There's someone in here today, your marriage is on the brink, but just a few seats from you, there's another marriage that's been restored. You better be very, you better be very grateful that very close to you is some salt, and your marriage is gonna be restored. It's gonna grow. It's gonna grow in ways it's never grown before. Why? Because God has put salt around you. We stand to your feet all over the room. I don't know who you are and exactly what you're going through, but what I know is this, that Jesus is calling you and I to be the salt of the earth. And this was the message for today. We could, we could be like, God, won't you do it right now? But I just really sense from the Lord the most fitting thing was for you and I. Hey, God is asking you and I right now, 
He's saying, hey, church, why not right now be the salt of the earth? Why not right now be the salt in the middle of people's messes? Why not right now let me sift the sand out of you? And so I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what God's asking you to do. I'm going to open up the altars right now. We've already got people who've moved and are at the altar right now because God's beginning to sift. And so I'm going to pray over you. If you're in this room and you've never given your heart and your life to Jesus, this is God's destiny for you, that you would deny yourself, that you would repent, and God wants to make you the salt of the earth. And he's going to use you to grow things in the earth. He's going to use you to push darkness back. And so, Father, right now, all over the room, God, we ask. God, we ask for a people, God, that are willing to just deny themselves, to count the cost, to carry our crosses. Jesus, will you sift the sand? Jesus, will you sift the impure thoughts? Jesus, will you sift the addictions out? Lord, we just want to be the salt of the earth. Lord, we're not making it about us. God, not even about our growth. God, would you use us for your kingdom come? Your will be done on earth, on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, wherever you are, will you just repent? Will you just ask him to sift the sand, to just begin to sift you and make you look more like Jesus, to be the salt of the earth? Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check us out on thevoyage.church to stay updated on everything God is doing in our city.